Good morning, family. That passage that he just read, I think our role is just like John, that he came to testify to that life, right? He came to, to proclaim that light that was coming into the darkness. And that, like, that's our role even now, that we, we actually testify to the life that we have in him currently. We, we testify to the truth of his life in our lives. We testify to the, to the reality that, that we have been brought into and set into the, the, his kingdom of light and out of darkness. And, and as we testify individually, that, that there's actually a unification of our testimony as the church, as the believers of Christ who gather together, and the wisdom of God the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through the church. You have Paul in Ephesians. At the end of uh, Ephesians 1, he says, and, and he put all things under his feet, this is talking about Christ, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. In this next part, it would, have been, it would have been just great if he just would have ended like a period right there. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all, all things to the church. Period. That'd be, that'd be a sentence. Like we could just end it right there, you know. But he goes on and he says, which is his body. That's fine. Put a period there. The fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't know if we get that. Okay, let's just... I want you to think about this. He gave himself for the church, which is his body. We are, his, we are the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world, right? That's huge. That's, that's huge. That's not just like, oh yeah, well, yeah I get that. Mm-hmm. We are his body. We are the revelation of the God of the universe to everybody else. That is incredible. That is massive. That is game-changing. That is tectonic plate shifting. Which is his body. That's, that's us. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Like, it's not just like, we are the revelation partially. We are the fullness of Christ revealed. That is the church. See, wouldn't it have been nice if you would have just ended the sentence a little bit before that? It wouldn't have felt so massive. It wouldn't have felt so big. It's just like, yeah, I gave him to the church. That's great. But we are, it changes how we live. That changes how we do things. That changes how we interact with one another. That changes how we see the rest of the scriptures. <laughs> and you realize that in this, Paul, through the rest of Ephesians, is blown away by the reality of what he's writing. He doesn't even, like, he's grasping at words, trying to go, I think, I think this is the best word that I can come up with to help you understand it. In so much that he, he uh, let's go to uh, Ephesians 3 real quick. So he said he was given grace uh, to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm supposed to preach the unsearchable things. I'm supposed to preach to you about the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to 
for everyone was the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We're not just to reveal Christ to human beings. There's something, there's a spiritual warfare taking place. And the way that the church actually is revealing Christ and actually saying, not my will, but yours, let your kingdom come here on earth as in heaven, we're doing the complete opposite of what the rebellion in the spiritual realm did. We were actually going, no, we will submit. We will do the things that he says. We will come under his authority because he's been put as head over the church. He's been put head over all things and over all creation. Paul goes on uh, a little bit further in, in Ephesians 3. Uh, And he says, uh, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the only way we're going to do it, is if we're actually strengthened in our inner being, because it's going to shake us to the core for the realization of what actually has transpired through Christ. That, That it changes everything to the very core of who we are and transforms us in how we actually function and live and actually our, our being. We are imitators of Christ. We are imitators of God. And if we are actually just not just imitating, but actually becoming him, that we are one unified with him, it's going to change us to the like, absolute core of who we actually are. So he's like, I ask that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? Oh, yeah, and one more thing. I also want you to know what is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, that's that little snippet right there. It it just, and to know, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses your knower, I want you to know what, you, what, what your knower can't know. <laughs> what a strange thing. He's like, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth? Yes, and one more thing, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That that might be how you function is actually, that you'd be filled with the absolute fullness of God continually, constantly, forever and ever. And that is how you walk in the spirit. That is how you actually abide in his life is because you are being filled over and over and over and over again. We as the body of Christ are the revelation of Christ revealed. We are the manifestation of Christ to the earth. We are the ones who actually live out him into creation. And to know that revelation, well, it'd be, to me, it would be nice if there was just this like, book that actually, that actually says something like, um, if it introed with the idea of something like, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we could read that, and then we could know, how are we supposed to be the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world? Wouldn't that be helpful? Like if there was a book that introed, like, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Funny thing. There is a book like that. And it's the most terrifying book for, for most people because 
it's been so misunderstood, so mistaught, so confusing um, in so many different ways to people. <laughs> so I'm actually going to hit a few things from it um, to help um, give us a broad understanding of what this actually is um, and why it's not such a terrifying book. So before we get into that real quick, uh, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your presence, that you, you are, uh, you, you do manifest yourself through us. You have given us your mind. You have given us your spirit. You have given us yourself, that you actually want us to be filled with your fullness, to actually be able to actually walk out what it is um, to be Christ to the earth, that we would, um, that we would walk so closely with you and in you, that we are becoming you, God and that your manifold wisdom would be made known and revealed through us that as we submit over and over and over and over again to your will, that your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge, your insight, all of who you are would be revealed as more glorious than anything else to us as the church, to the world, to the rulers and principalities of this present age, God, that we would know what it is to be built up and strengthened in you, in our inner man, in your, by your spirit, in our spirit, God. I thank you in Jesus' name. So we have this book, The Revelation of Jesus. And it's funny because so much of it has very little Jesus in it. Like it starts out and like, the cat's out of the bag right away, and he, he does this whole thing, and he's like, this is the revelation of Jesus. He's got, you know, shiny hair and a sword coming out of his mouth and all these things. It's like, done. What's the rest of the book for? We just revealed him. But it's fascinating to me that right after that, you know, you get into the, the seven churches, and each one of them starts with a, this is Jesus Christ, you know, the one who, who holds the keys to, to every door, and all, like, each one of those phrases before it talks about the church, that phrase is actually what that church needs to be, what it's going through, and that, like, what, what, what it actually describes as who Jesus is, is actually, this is what you actually need from me. This is what you need to become. This is what you need to be built into. This is what you need to function like. This is what, like, that's why he puts that phrase before he talks about the church. Each one of those ones, that phrase helps speak into the life of what that church needs from Christ in that, what they need to be built up into. And you see that in different ones, and we can talk about that later sometime if you want to. Um, You then go on, and right after that, you've got, um, in Revelation 4 and 5, you've got, um, you know, John sees, he's like, oh, there's this scroll, who's been, like, who's worthy to open the seal? There's no one in heaven, the seven spirits are sitting there waiting um, in the seven um, lampstands. And then we find that um, he hears, he hears that there's lion of the tribe of Judah. But then he turns and he sees and he sees that there's a slain lamb. And that's something that you need to pay attention to well as you read in Revelation. What does he hear and then what does he see? There's a, there's a difference between what is, what is going through his ears and what he cha- turns and actually sees physically taking place. Um, and you have the, the, the slain lamb, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah that he heard, um, and he, the lamb has been found worthy to open the scroll. And the seven spirits are released into creation on Pentecost. This is the spiritual uh, revealing of what actually took place on Pentecost. <laughs> um, you continue to move on. 
it seems like for a little while there, Jesus is like almost nothing is actually taking place uh, with Jesus specifically. Like you see um, some of these different, like the seven, uh, the different horsemen. You see the, um, you see the different bowls, the different plagues. You see Jesus pop in for here and there. Um, but like the greatest revelation actually takes place at the very end. And what is it a revelation of? It's the angel takes takes John up on a mountain, and he says, I'm going to show you the wife, the bride of the lamb. Oftentimes, we want to say that's heaven, but that's not what the angel says he's going to show him. He says, I'm going to show you the wife, the bride of the lamb, which we know is the church, which is Christ's bride. That's, that, is, that is what he's showing. He's showing this is a picture of the bride. So if you want to actually know what the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ is, it's the church. That's what he's building through. He, right before that, he actually gets to, um, he, he, there's so many different things in Revelation that are about the martyrs, about them who, who actually are, are choosing his way over, over Babylon's way, over the beast's way. And it's, it's this continuation that as we get further and further in the book of Revelation, the more we see that it's about his bride, it's about his church, that is what is he, he's revealing. If you want to know what the revelation of Jesus Christ looks like, it's manifested through his church, his bride. Does that, does that make sense? That's what he's actually trying to show us in the book of Revelation is if you want to actually see what it looks like, look at the last pages. It's amazing. He's like, let me take you up on this mountain. I'm going to show you the wife the bride of the lamb. I'm going to show you these dimensions, this city. I'm going to show you this temple. I'm going to show you this, this garden imagery. It's this whole conglomeration of all of these things of what the bride is looking like. And oftentimes we'll, we'll think far off in the distant future, like this is, this is what, long way off. This is, this is the future heaven often is what, how we view it. But that's not the picture. Any other time, in the past, in the Old Testament, that a specific, uh, that somebody was taken um, into the presence of God and God revealed something physical, such as Noah's Ark. He gave specific dimensions. He said, this is how you're going to build it. Moses, given something for the tabernacle. David, given something for the temple, right? Given specific dimensions on this is how it's going to look. He then gives those to Solomon. Um, Ezekiel, given a picture of what the temple's supposed to look like. Where are those supposed to be? Those are supposed to be built here on earth. It's a representation of God's presence here and now here on earth. So when we get to the book of Revelation and we get to the very last pages and we see John being taken up, in a revelation of something that has dimensions, that has something of all of those things previously, of the tabernacle, of the temple, of the Garden of Eden, which was the original temple, which was the original um, city of God, that God from the very beginning goes, all right, I'm going to show you what this looks like here and now in the garden, and I want you to go out and extend the borders. I want you to take all of this and make all of creation look like this. I want you to take my presence into all of creation so that my glory might cover the earth. So what you actually see here in the garden is what needs to be in the entirety of all of creation. And so we see that every single time that God takes heaven and earth and combines them together, he goes, I want you to make this a place here on earth. That way it actually functions as my presence all in one place. So when we get to the end of the book of Revelation, our minds shouldn't go to, oh, that's someplace off in the far distant future. That's what's actually currently being built here and now. 
That's what the church is actually currently being built into, is that we are the city of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the Garden of Eden into all of creation. So when we see and we realize that every single other time that has been played out, that, that that is what actually takes place here on earth, we need to be realizing there's something big that we are a part of, right? Does that make sense? Are you guys following everything that I'm saying so far? That this, like, this is, this is, like I said, tectonic plate shifting as far as, like, we are, we as the church are the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. And this isn't some far off distant hope and future thing that we want. We want to see heaven and we want to get there. We want to see this beautiful heavenly city. You are. You are. Just like in Paul's writing, he's like, you, you, you are glorified and you will be glorified. Like, there, there's this, like, you, you have been saved and you will be saved. There's this continuation of uh, th- those who, who were justified are glorified, are glorified. And it's like, well, we haven't been glorified yet. No, there's something of this tension of uh, both, yes, we have fully been into something, and yes, we're still waiting for the, real, like, the realization of the reality of, of, the, of the fullness of it. And so even though it's like we look around and we're like, I don't know that I'm really, the, like, that picture in Revelation, that's what we are. We're walking by faith, not by sight. It doesn't matter what you see. It's the reality that that's what actually takes place in the church. That, that is who we actually are. And that is who we're actually being built into at the same time. Are you guys tracking with everything there? And I think um, oftentimes that um, we'll be like the people in the book of Ezra. And so, so you got, they were in the uh, Persian um, captivity. They come back. And Zerubbabel is going to build the temple, right? And so it's like, all right, we're building the temple. We've got this whole thing. We've, we're building it up, and, and the, the temple has been built. And they're going to cry out to God because they remember what happened with Solomon's temple, that they cried out to God. The Spirit of God fell in fire, and it just, the presence of God was there. And they're just like super excited. Some of them are. Some of them are just like, this temple is not nearly as good as what, it, what the previous one was. But some of them are excited because they're like, we've heard the stories. We know what happens. We know what happens when we cry out that we will have the Spirit of God come and fill this place doesn't happen, right? Does it ever feel like that sometimes? Like, we're like, oh, we remember the things of old, how great the spirit of God's, wa- God's presence was here in this place, and, and how many people there were. And it's like, we cry out, God, that you would come and restore and refresh and redeem and do all of these things and bring your spirit here once again. And I think we sometimes feel like those people in Ezra who are like, God, where is the fire? Where is the presence of God? Where are you? We want to see you here and now. And you move on in, in the book of Ezra, and you've got Ezra, who actually comes, and just like Zerubbabel, um, he had built the temple. Uh, Zerubbabel, uh, uh, Ezra actually, I just like to say the name is Zerubbabel, I guess. Um, and so <laughs> Ezra, actually, he comes back, and he actually wants to build the people. He wants to teach them. This is what it looks like to actually walk in God's way. So he teaches them the Torah. He teaches them this is what life is in God looks like. So he actually builds the people. And then uh, in Nehemiah, which originally uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were just one scroll. Um, We've kind of separated them out, but it was just one scroll altogether. Um, So Nehemiah comes back and he's like, I'm going to build the city walls. I'm going to build all of this back up. And again, it's nothing, each one of these things, like the people end up rebelling, they end up selling uh, stuff in the temple. Uh, They end up selling stuff on the outsides of the walls that are like, it's, Nothing is functioning the way that it was designed. It's not functioning in the way that God had originally said, this is 
how my life works. And, and to them, they're, they're wondering, they're, they're, they're going back to, um, to Jeremiah um, and what Jeremiah said um, before they come back, like they remember there was a promise that was given by God. In Jeremiah 29, it says, For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed from, for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will come and, come and pray and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so they're back there and they're just like, God, where are you? You promised, you said these things would take place. You have given us prophetic words. You have said these things to us. You have promised this. You ever, like if I just stopped right there, do you, like, do you feel that tension in yourself? Like I feel that sometimes. Like I feel that you've given me promises. You've given me words of prophecy over myself, over this place. God, where, where's that fulfillment? Do you feel like those people outside of the temple who are just waiting? God, come fill this place. I want to see your fire. I want to see your presence. But if we go to, to what, what the the what happens in hmm, okay the Jewish Bible and our Bible are not put together the same. Do we realize that? Do we know that? Okay. So the end of the Jewish Bible ends in Second uh, Chronicles. Ours obviously doesn't end in Second Chronicles. But the end of the Jewish Bible ends like this: Second uh, Chronicles thirty six twenty two through twenty three. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, which was what we just read, right? That was the prophecy, like there, the prophecy of we will have you return, like God will fulfill his promises. You will take this back to this land and I will fulfill all these things. So to... Um, so now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord, Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Uh, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Dot, dot, dot. It doesn't have a dot, dot, dot in the English translation of this. We don't realize what actually takes place here is that this is actually a quote, and he actually doesn't finish the quote. It's a way that they used to actually show, all right, you know this quote because of the beginning of Ezra. It's, it's word for word, the beginning of Ezra. What, like that king of Cyrus, these are the things, go up and build this place. What actually takes place is, is the chronicler says, all right, I'm going to start a quote here, and you'll know where to go, which is the beginning of Ezra, because I'm not finishing the quote. And so to us, we go, oh, okay, yeah, we should go to the book of Ezra and see what happens. And what happens is we realize they go to build a temple, failure. They go to build the people, failure. They go to build the city of God, failure. Every single one of those is a failure. Disappointing, right? Like, why, like, why did we just get sent back there? Why is that actually taking place? Why is this the end of the Jewish 
Bible. It seems so anticlimactic. That's one way of looking at it, because that is, that is the reality, that they would have been sent back there, in, in, they would have been sent back to Ezra and Nehemiah, because that's how you read a scroll, that's how you would do it. But, from the spiritual standpoint, what, is, what, the, what God is actually doing here is he's actually saying, let him go up, dot, 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 and the next phrase should be to build the temple, to build all these things. That's what should be said, but isn't said, because that's what God does in the New Testament. That's what God actually begins through his people, that the fire actually comes down on Pentecost, and they are filled with his presence, that they are beginning to be those living stones being built together in his temple, that they become the city of God, that that's actually why that the Old Testament of the Jewish Bible ends so anticlimactically, is because they want you to go back and read Ezra and Nehemiah and go, oh, what a failure. This is terrible. Like, that's really what you sent me back to? No, no, no. The real story is that he changes something when Jesus comes on the scene. Everything turns over. Everything transitions. And he begins to take a people who have, be, who have waited and longed for the presence of God, who've waited and said, where is your presence? Where are your promises? Where is your fulfillment? Jesus. The fulfillment of every promise, the fulfillment of every single prophecy, the fulfillment of who we are is in him. So the Old Testament for the Jewish Bible isn't anticlimactic. It's actually pointing to a greater spiritual truth. It's actually taking us into what is that future hope? What is that? Where's that fire coming down from heaven when we call out? It happened. We don't have to call it down anymore. We actually are his temple. We have been filled with his spirit. His presence is continually in us. So how do we live this? Like, how do we actually move and function? That's what Paul's writings are all about. So you get to um, uh, Romans 12. Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? In Romans 12, you have um, Paul saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that our minds would be like Christ, that we would actually have the mind of Christ. Like, that's what he actually says in a different place, that you have the mind of Christ. And he's like, uh, put, this, put this mind on, like, think on these things, whatever is lovely, pure, all of these different things. So he's like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think is going to change the way you act. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? Boy, what a complex thing that we just, oftentimes we just look at each other and go, if I only knew, if I only knew the will of God. It's not near as hard as we make it out to be. Let's just do a real basic level, real basic level, what the will of God is. Let's go back to my favorite place, Genesis. Genesis 1, God says, this is what you're supposed to do. Go have dominion, subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. You want to know the will of God? Bring his kingdom wherever you go. Subdue that which is not right and make it right. Be fruitful, multiply, bring life into, that's his will. It's so easy. Like if, if something needs to be restored, be a part of the restoration. If something needs to be transformed into, into a, um, something that actually has life, help with that transformation. 
His will isn't as complicated as we want to make it out to be. It's like he actually tells us, I'm actually giving you authority to actually go do these things. I don't need you to con- continually always go back to me and go, all right, Papa, um, I don't know. I'm just not sure. That's fine. That, like, there is something of like, growing in maturity. He actually wants us to get to the point where like, I know God. I know how he would act in this situation, and I'm going to be executing his judgment because I'm so one in him that my decisions are the decisions that he would be making. Does that make sense? Like, that's, that is actually the reality that we're called not to, like, there is something of growing and maturing into understanding who Jesus is. And that's what, like, it, when we get into the Gospels, we, see, we get to actually see God revealed. That's what uh, Mike read this morning, that, that Jesus, like, no one has seen God, but Jesus is the revelation of God made manifest to the earth. And then we are the manifestation of God. Jesus made manifest to creation, that we actually are, like, what Jesus was to revealing God, we are to revealing Jesus to the earth. So when we, when we say, you know, what, how do we test and know? You try it. You, you put it out there. Does this look like it would bring life? I'm going to do the best I can to bring life into this situation. Does it look like I should be bringing the kingdom here? I'm going to do the best I can to be bringing the kingdom. And he has grace that as we make a decision, as we do things, as we move forward, that if, if we make some sort of a mistake, he's still going to cover it. And like, he will work all things out for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And if that's who you are, if that's, you're, you're trying to be in his will, you're trying to be doing these things, test it out. Try it. Don't be scared not to make a decision. Like, I don't know his will. I don't want to do it. No, he says test it. Not tested isn't like, it's a test isn't like a trial and error, or like a trial um, that like tests to prove me right. It's, it's no, it's a test that I actually tested. I tested. I'm trying to put something out there and I want, give it a go. Try it. See if it works. That's the test. So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3 of, uh, of Romans 12. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if, if service in, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So like each one of these things, this is actually how we actually fulfill the will of God in, in our lives. This is how we actually function. This is how we actually go about testing his will is we actually do these things. If you have a gift, you bring it and use it. It's just like in First uh, Corinthians fourteen uh, twenty six, where he's like, each one of you actually comes with a gift ready to give. Like, are you coming ready to, pr- like, are you coming just to receive? Or are you coming to actually give and help build up the body of Christ? You see in, in different other places, um, in Hebrews, and it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to, uh, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In Jude 
1, 20 through 21, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So each one of these things, like stir up that gift. Build up one another. Build up that faith in each one of you. So as you actually come, you're actually coming, just like in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he's like, each one comes with a gift, ready to give, ready to be a participant, ready to actually participate in this body, that you actually have something to give. Just like, um, just like in, in Genesis 1, when he takes, or in Genesis 2, when he takes dust and breathes life into it, and we want to see uh, the will of heaven done here on earth, that we actually, that is, that is dust of the earth and the breath of heaven. We actually are a mini cosmos. We actually are heaven on earth. We actually are the com- combination of those two things together. And we actually, as the will of God is actually executed through us, we are bringing it into this wor- world. That we are actually bringing his life into everything that, that we are doing here in this world. So then, in, in Romans 12, it continues on, let love be genuine. And this is, this is all of these things. This is, you want to know, how are we, how, that, that picture in, in Revelation 21 and 22. We want to be built up into that, right? That's what we, like, we want to see. We want to actually be that revelation to the world. And throughout the letters of Paul and throughout the other writers, they're saying, build one another up in these ways. Don't forget to stir up the gift. Don't forget to do these things. So when you actually come together, this is what you're doing. So if you want to see that picture taking place and being built into creation, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're actually doing when we gather on a Sunday morning is we're actually starting to build. We're starting to participate in that process. Just like in Ezra and Nehemiah when they're building the temple and they're building the church and they're building the city we're actually doing it from a spiritual standpoint. We're actually helping to encourage. We're helping to build one another up in love, which is what Paul jumps into continually. It's always, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek the seek to show hospitality. This is, this is what it sounds like in, in Acts um, 4 and 6, I think, when it's like, you know, if anybody had need, they just helped, like they just gave it to the, the church. Like they just were like, you know what, what you, what you need, I actually have and I can provide it. Like outsho- outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another, another in generosity. Outdo one another in showing love to one another. Outdo one another in all the ways that Christ lived his life. And you do that, you begin to actually see that you are built up in love. You begin to see that you are those living stones that have been being placed and God's spirit has been at work the whole time. And one day we look back and we go, oh my gosh, we have become what we were becoming the whole time. We have become the city of God. We've become the temple, glorious temple that is filled with his presence that, that we don't need the sun to light our day It is actually, he is the one who lights the day. He is the one who actually fills us with light every single day. 
continuing on in, in Romans 12, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depending on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So even like when we're dealing with one another, we get like, you know, I love you guys. Like it's easy to love you guys and to, to deal with one another in love and outdo one another in love because like you guys are great. You're my family. But like if it's my enemy and I'm called to treat them the same way that I'm actually supposed to, to be pouring into them that I, that I actually leave the vengeance to God to do and I actually go out of my way to actually deal bountifully with my enemy. That sounds like somebody who got murdered on a cross and asked us to join him in his sacrifice. And he asked us to be, to take up our cross and do the same thing. It sounds like a, such a contrary way of living that it's no longer, hey, you hurt me, I'm going to get you back. It's, hey, I'm worried that you're going to do this to my family. Beat them to the punch. Bless them. And if they still come after you, bless them again. And if you lose your life, no, no, it wasn't the first time somebody lost their life. That Christ lost his life for us. That he, that's the only reason we even have life is because that he already gave it for us. So that for us to lose our lives, what? Is it, is, it, is it okay for me to be here or is it better to be in, in, in the presence of God? I'm sorry. I'm going with I'm going to be in the presence of God. I don't know if you'll miss me or not, but that's where I'm going to choose every single time. That is what we're going for. It's continually going, how do I love this person? That's the only way. Je- Jesus never raised a hand to destroy anybody. He let himself be destroyed to the point of his own life being given. And he calls us into that same thing with one another and with the people who we don't trust and the people who we're not sure that that, like, that this is how I, I don't know that I want to respond this way. It seems very stupid based on the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world would say, I should do this, this, and this. Are we going off the wisdom of this world or are we going off the wisdom of God? Which, if you read the Bible, never makes any sense. The wisdom of God, it's always crazy. It just is like, really? You chose that as opposed to this? I would have never done that. That's probably a good thing. His pictures, the way he does things looks a lot better in the end. So there's something of us realizing that that picture of the revelation of Christ, that what Paul is actually saying when he's like, hey, I want you to know the unsearchable riches of Christ, that I actually want you to walk in the fullness of him. What he wants us to do is walk in the reality of who we are in Revelation 21 and 22. What he wants us to do is actually be what Jesus is in the Gospels. What he actually wants us to do is actually walk like Christ and be his revelation to the world. That it's not just, hey, I've been spiritually made new, but I'm actually becoming him 
in reality, in who I am as a human being. It's also who I am physically. It's who I am emotionally. It's who I am spiritually, that his spirit came and actually brought life into dead things, his body, and then came and brought life into my body and your body and says, go, bring life everywhere you go. Be that river of living water that flows out of the temple in Ezekiel 47. That, where does it flow? In, the, in Ezekiel 47, where does the river actually flow? Into the most dead place. It's into the desert and then into the Dead Sea. No life. There's no life in the Dead Sea. It's so salty, there's no life. But the picture, the picture that is actually given in Ezekiel 47 is actually that there's so much fresh water, there's so much life coming into this dead place, this dead sea, that life overtakes death. Does that sound familiar? That life overtakes death. That, that as the world gets darker and darker, the church gets brighter and brighter over and over and over again. That in, in Isaiah 61 through 62, read that sometime. If, if you can't read Isaiah 60 and uh, see the church um, and, and the prophecy in, in Revelation 21 and 22, then you need to reread both of them and you'll see it. It's impossible to miss it. Um, but in, in, in Isaiah 60, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's what's happened. Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That is the reality that we currently live in. That is the reality that we are living into. And that is the reality that one day we will fully live into. That the picture that we see of who we are and who we are becoming will be who we have, beca- who we have become through Jesus Christ. And we will be the full manifestation of Christ to the world. So I, like all of this, why, like, why talk about all this? right now because it's massive because it's it's ridiculous to think that we just come here on a Sunday morning just to gather that when the Bible clearly portrays that we are living stones being built together as the temple of God and we realize that when when we get to that we are to be the revelation of him that that our lives have to change that when Paul has no words because everything that he tries to say doesn't make any sense because he's like, I, I'm trying the best I can, but human words can't actually pull this out of me. Like, I'm doing, like, it's so big that whatever we do is transformed and changed. That's why I'm talking about this is because from this point on, you are responsible for the reality of the knowledge that when we gather, this isn't just for, for kicks. This isn't just because this is what we do. You're responsible. You are required by the scriptures to be bringing your gift, to be a participation, to participate in what is actually being gathered here as his body, to be a member of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So from every point on, when we gather, we outdo each other in love. Every time we gather, we bring our gift. We've been preparing. We've been storing up. We've been building. We have been actually being transformed so that we can actually bring and, and participate 
in the life of the body. There's a story that I heard one, one, uh, one preacher give, and uh, he said there was a, there was a guy at a, at a diner, a greasy spoon diner um, down in Texas, and he ordered a cup of coffee, and you know, typical cup of coffee, a diner, not real big, and uh, they bring the sugar and the coffee out for him, and uh, he takes one spoonful and puts it in, but he doesn't do one spoonful, but two spoonfuls and puts it in. Not two spoonfuls, but three spoonfuls of sugar and puts it in. Not three spoonfuls, but four spoonfuls of sugar, and he runs out of sugar, and he looks at the waitress, and he goes, hey, could you give me some more sugar? She looks back at him, and he goes, bud, just stir what you got. Just stir what you got. You got more than enough sugar in that cup to handle what you're doing. That's what we have to realize, is we have already been given everything. That we have already been seated in heavenly places. We've already been given the Holy Spirit. We don't need to call down his spirit in flames of fire. We need to actually stir up what we already have. We need to live into the reality that he has given us. We need to actually take the gifts that he's given us and go, all right, how am I going to use this for the building of his body? It's not the building of me. It's not the building up of all these things. It's that the presence of God is continually dwelling in me, and I am actually a conduit into both you guys and to the rest of the earth that whatever I have is yours. That I am, I am never afraid that my generosity in, in physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever else, God is never afraid of, of over-generous. Like his abundance in the garden shows that. Like it wasn't like he was like, well, I'm going to kind of do a partial thing and I'm going to like give you a few fruit pieces and then you got to go find some more. And like he has fully given everything that they need in the garden. And he goes, yeah. You have everything. I want you to take what I gave you freely and I want you to take that and give that to the world. So there's never a point where we have to be, that we should be stingy. Like generosity is the heart of God in physical ways, in emotional ways, in spiritual ways, whatever it is. So generosity is what his people look like. So I call you to be responsible from this point on that this is, this is the Lord saying, Behold, I'm making, I'm doing a new thing in this place, that I'm actually beginning something new. And as you look around and you go, oh, this temple doesn't seem as big and as, as boisterous as it once was. Or, or when I look around and I go, man, some of the pillars of people who once were here, where'd they go? I've seen new pillars. I've seen new people. I've seen people who, who weren't pillars at one point who have become pillars. And we function in that way. And we, instead of looking, where did they go? What are we going to do? How are we going to? No, we function in what we have. We're faithful and we're generous to each other. And God will do, the wor- will do the rest. Work out your salvation because he is the one at work doing it. It's his work. He wants you to be faithful. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter who's here, who's not here. It's you look around and you don't go, God, where, like, what happened? The temple isn't as great as it used to be. I want to see your presence. No, stir up what you got. You have the presence. You have the spirit of God. You're not waiting for anything. He's not waiting to like, all right, I'm giving you dose number two, three, four. Like, he will continually fill you with his, with his spirit, but like, you already have it fully. So you function, you stir up what you have, and you look around and you go, that person has become a pillar that I would have never seen becoming a pillar 10, 15, 20 years ago. What a work that God has done. 
and he's continuing to do a work. He's continu- like there is a future to this place. There's a future, but it, it is both dependent on us stirring up what we have and actually caring and loving one another and realizing that what we're being built into is his beautiful city and realizing that we are participating in that at the same time he is. So as we come to, to take communion, realize that as we partake of his body and his blood, that we are actually partaking of who he is, that, that his body is actually partaking of his body, and ask and pray, God, that as I, as I partake of your body, that you would give me greater revelation of who I am in you, and that you would transform me from the inside out as I eat these things, that, that as, I, as I partake of your body, that I become more like who you are in your body, and that I would live that out into all of creation. So join me in prayer. Father God, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your majesty, for the magnificence of of who you are, that there is that there are unsearchable things of you, God. That there are there are riches so deep that the wells can't even pull them all up. God, that you have made yourself one with us. And called us to be one with you. That it's not that we are partly who you are, but we are actually becoming fully who you are. God, and I just ask that you would reveal that to us. That you would open our eyes to see those things. That you would actually um, transform our mind. That, that as our minds are transformed, we are renewed. That we are actually transformed from glory to glory into your presence, God. Into who you are. That we would be you made manifest into creation. And that we would walk by faith and not by sight. And that we would actually continue on and build one another up. That we would stir up what you have already given. That we don't need to call for more, but you have already called us to be responsible for what you've given us. And that we would be faithful people. That we would be faithful and responsible to work out while you do the work. While you do the real work, God that you would teach us obedience and faithfulness so that we can actually function like you would actually ask us to function again. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.